Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And my name is Andrew Borden. And this is episode 134 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 134, as you can uh, tell from our intro, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Andrew Borden. For those of you who don't know Andrew, which is not going to be that many <laughs> uh, listeners out there, uh, but Andrew is a longtime district uh, quizzer in PNW, Great West. He was an international quizzer. And how many years did you go to internationals uh, as a quizzer, Andrew? Three times I quizzed at internationals. Three time internationals quizzer. And he he has been and continues to be a PNW coach from time to time, but his primary job right now is QMing at district meets. But he's also the vice chair of the PNW quizzing board, which means he's also uh, the head of the rules committee for the, uh, for PNW quizzing. So he is very, very involved. And in fact, Andrew and I were just at the double K Christian retreat center, camp and retreat center in Easton, Washington this past weekend, Friday through Sunday for the PNW quizzing district championships, which was awesome <laughs> and a little bit grueling at the same time. Uh, Andrew was uh, queuing in room one, which was, a, they call it the tabernacle. It's basically a very large 10 building, uh, which worked out kind of okay, except the temperature started to get a little bit warm. And then there was a thunderstorm. Um, so <laughs> it became so loud that, uh, we had to relocate room one to other locations to be able to wrap up the last part of Quizmeet on Saturday, but uh, always exciting times uh, at Quizmeets. All right, so this is episode 134, and in the last one, 133, start, we started walking through the CBQ rulebook version one, and we're going to continue that comprehensive explanation of the CBQ rulebook here our our goal here is to overview the system uh, and then go deep diving into implications of the rules a little bit of the rationale behind the rules but also discussion of possible strategies and where things get really interesting is right now because we talk through most of the structure of a quiz of queries how things work in general and some of the parts that we talked about in the last episode may or may not seem all that interesting or compelling. They're different. And you might be thinking, well, okay, that's interesting and different, but why that way? Well, the why that way starts to become much more clear as we talk about scoring. So Scott is going to take over here, and we're going to just dive into section 2.8 if you're following uh, the rulebook at home with scoring. So if you remember from last episode, we talked about base subtypes for a query, but then also quizzer selected subtypes. And this is where we get into the differences in scoring for each of those. So starting with the three base subtypes, a query of the open book subtype is worth a maximum of one point. So if a quizzer gets it right, they get a point. If they get it wrong, they get zero. All queries of the synonymous base subtype are worth two points. Um, and not a maximum of, but they are worth two points. And then all queries of the verbatim subtype are worth four points. So every query defaults to synonymous um, as a base subtype. But if the quizzer chooses to specify one of those base subtypes, then it becomes that one. Um, and I'm being a little pedantic. They could technically specify synonymous, and it becomes synonymous when it already was synonymous, but it still is one of the three base subtypes, and a quizzer is definitely allowed to 
um, select it, even though it is it is technically already selected for them. But then we get to the fun part, which is the quizzer selected subtypes, because these become additive in scoring. So if a quizzer decides to select with reference, it is worth one additional point above any points that they've scored already, um, as long as it is of a base subtype synonymous or verbatim. Because remember, the open book subtype is worth a maximum of one point. But if you choose verbatim, you get it right, you get four points, and you decide to say with reference and give the reference to get that right, you get five points. So you can start to see already that's quite a difference from an open book that is one point. I think people might think, oh, open book is just so easy. And relatively, it is. And so the scoring reflects that. And quizzers will want to study more so that they can um, get queries that are more difficult than open book and be rewarded for it with a score that is not just a point higher, but in many cases, two to six points higher. So that was the first quizzer selected subtype with reference. If the quizzer selects add a verse, uh, that is worth one additional point if the base subtype is synonymous and two additional points if the base subtype is verbatim. So that, yep, so that's right. They can go from one to seven. The seven being they select verbatim for four with reference for one and add a verse for two. And if they get all that right, it's four plus one plus two. And Griffin, if they select verbatim with reference and get the reference wrong, do they get zero or do they get four? They end up getting zero uh, in, in the, the way the, the rule book is currently set up. You can select all these things, the quizzer selected subpoints, but what you're doing is you're adding difficulty, voluntary difficulty. If you get any part of that incorrect, you're, you're incorrect for everything. Uh, so there is certain care that needs to be taken here, but the idea being that as you add difficulty, you're rewarded for the cumulative difficulty that you're going for. That makes sense. Now, let's say that I jump, win the jump, and am recognized, and then I say maybe 10 words of an answer, and then I say verbatim. Now, at that point, those 10 words that I've answered so far are not um, cannot be used to count me correct towards verbatim, right? I'm kind of starting fresh. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as you call, a quizzer can call a subtype or set of subtypes at any particular point during their 40-second window. So, well, okay, I shouldn't say at any point. Anytime prior to being called correct, um, you can call a for uh, or you can set your subtypes. So you can say anything. You can even provide nearly all of a correct answer under synonymous and then start calling for subtypes. But once you call a set of subtypes, uh, you you're, you're t you basically start over. Everything prior to calling that just kind of vanishes. So the theory being that, you know, yes, technically you could spend 20 seconds trying to answer synonymously, then change your mind and switch to verbatim, and then you would just have to start over. Anything that you provided during that synonymous period would be uh, would be ignored. So that's not usually going to be the use case because usually you'll uh, you might trigger, get called on, and you might start a word or two in, and then sort of catch yourself and realize, no, wait a minute, I actually can do this one verbatim. You call verbatim, and just remember to start over. Don't assume the one or two words you've already said is there. That's probably a more routine uh, case where you're you recognize it, 
you're confident in it, and then you start setting your subtypes, and then you answer. Now you've got 40 seconds. That's a very long time to be able to do that. So you don't feel like don't feel like you have to be rushed when you do this. 40 seconds feels like an eternity. Uh, so take your time to go through that. A much more common use case is going to be you trigger or somebody triggers, they get called on, they start responding synonymously, or they're, they spend 10 seconds trying to figure out the material. They're trying to remember, they're trying to recall something. And then they realize, oh yeah, I actually don't know this. Now you've got an interesting dilemma on your hand. You can decide to call open book, then open up your reference material, find the answer, provide the answer. You'll get a point there versus zero points. But because of what we're going to talk about next, it actually might be in your, it might be to your advantage to take the error. Um, so there's some very interesting strategy that kind of pulls off of it. And even though that is the perfect segue to the next bullet point, I still have questions. Yes. <laughs> go point. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so let's say, a quizzer triggers uh, on a query that is from verse one and they answer that verse or they finish that verse one enough to be counted synonymously correct. Would the quiz master, would the quiz magistrate call them correct? Would they like, I, I'm wondering, could they then say um, with reference and then be able to give a reference or will, or does saying with reference reset everything and they need to say verse one again? Yeah, with reference resets everything because, uh, you know, with reference is a subtype. So when you're calling a subtype, you're, you're, you're resetting. Uh, so if a quizzer, but here's the other complicating factor. If a quizzer doesn't call any subtypes, like you said, they are synonymous by default. And let's say they start responding uh, in synonymous mode and they get to the end of the verse, they are immediately correct. So even if they get to the end of the verse and then yell very quickly with reference, uh, they're actually correct at that point. Even, and so the quiz master would call them correct, award them two points, but not allow them to add a reference and attempt to restate everything for that extra one point. Now, if they got all the way to the end of the verse except one word, Right. So they got almost to the end of the verse or even if they started saying a word, but they didn't complete the very last word. And then they said with reference and then started over and provided the synonymous answer. Then, yes, they'll get the, the three points. And so, there's, there, there's no timing issue here, like in the current age two, where if you're quoting a chapter verse reference backwards, you kind of want to throw in some pauses. So a quiz master has space to prompt you for your question here. If I just select the the synonymous subtype, say verse one, it doesn't matter how quickly or slowly I say with reference. If I am deemed to have fulfilled synonymous, I am counted correct for synonymous and get two points, um, regardless of how quickly or slowly I said with reference, right? Yeah, indeed. Well, and then one thing to also keep in mind is, uh, you know, if a quiz master isn't uh, super fast to uh, like clue into your with reference uh, or click it or something that's irrelevant. Um, the fact that you said with reference and then you answer synonymously that counts for those uh, those three points. Andrew, you were about to say something, right? Uh, yeah, I just uh, I was just going to mention as far as strategy goes that while now we have a quizzer has this ability to uh, to be quoting and then realize they want to add a different subtype and, and change it in the middle of the response and go back. Um, 
and with with more time you certainly can do that i think uh it's still the the optimal strategy as it has been in h2 to spend you know the first 5 10 even 15 seconds now thinking about how exactly you want to answer and running it through in your head and then you say all those things and go ahead and answer because switching up in the middle definitely can can throw off your your uh, train of thought yeah i wholeheartedly agree i mean 40 seconds 30 seconds is a long time 40 seconds is an eternity go ahead and take 5 seconds 10 seconds to think through what you want to you know aim for evaluate your options and then go for it the only exception might be if you go do that evaluation and you're not too comfortable maybe try answering synonymous uh without add a verse without add a reference and you know see if you go maybe 10 or 15 seconds in maybe even 20 seconds in and then if you're like no this isn't working uh then call open book at least you can pull out a, a point you know at that point yeah i would agree open book is the exception there yeah now just like timing doesn't matter with a quizzer adding on a quizzer selected subtype i imagine it also doesn't matter for being counted incorrect like if i say something that would take me out of context me blurting out add a verse and resetting my answer does not cancel out anything i've said already exactly yeah you're you're either you're most likely not correct yet uh, for most of your time but then the moment you become correct or the moment you become incorrect uh, by way of being out of context, uh, th that's the end. Um, and you might keep trying to say things very loudly for, uh, for you know, very quickly. It doesn't matter. Uh, at that point, uh, the die has been cast. Which I love because the single hardest thing I had to do as a quiz master was make the determination if the quote was complete on a situation question. Because I'm required to say quote is complete when they have said enough and they're basically answering synonymously, right? To use an age three term for age two. But I had to make that call really, really quickly so that they can move on to the situation question um, portion of their answering. Whereas when it comes to a chapter verse reference, sh um, sure, I have to be timely with prompting them for their question, but that's pretty easy. You're looking at a very small amount of material and you almost know exactly when they're going to say it. Whereas for a situation question quotation portion, the quizzer can be saying all kinds of stuff and then you have to make a really quick decision. Did they say enough for me to be required to say quote is complete in a timely fashion? And there's none of those timing issues in um, CBQ. Yeah, that's true. I and and in generally, I agree with the examples. I do want to point out though that in a CVR in H two, you can also be in a situation where uh, a quizzer provides a synonymous response that is kind of borderline, and you're like, well, they're prob like like I could see an argument being made in a challenge that they're they've provided enough information, but if I say, what's your question now? I could see a challenge going the opposite direction. <laughs> so like that, that can also put you in a really uncomfortable spot as a quiz master. And of course, who cares if, you know, QMs are uncomfortable. Uh, we care about quizzers, you know, memorizing and having fun and excelling and engaging, but it, the, the issue is really more, we want to make sure the environment is fair for everybody and consistent uh, for everybody. And on CVRs, it was usually, I mean, that would happen often the amount of material that you're having to look at is so small, you know, right. like eight words in the question and the answer. And 
of the portion that would be in the question that the quizzer has to provide, that part has to be verbatim. Yeah. Because otherwise you're misleading them by prompting. And so, you know, like that part can't be synonymous of it. Um, so that's another, well, there's no judgment there. So it's just on the answer portion and maybe it's a nine word answer, which would be really long for a CVR and they give something that's kind of close and you have to make that call really quickly. So it, it can't happen on CVR. It's just a whole lot rarer. Indeed. So we've ruined the great segue. Um, but if you remember the segue, it was, well, you might be answering and, you know, defaulted to synonymous base subtype. And then you realize you don't know it 15 seconds in, maybe you want to switch to open book and, Use that for the rest of your time, but maybe you don't. And the reason is ceilings, um, which is similar to quiz out in H2, but a, a ceiling is a quizzer can be counted correct enough times that they reach what's called a ceiling, beyond which they're no longer eligible to trigger um, or get queries in a quiz. So their ceiling is four correct queries as long as none of the first three were open book. So if any of those first three you get right are open book, it limits you. Um, it limits your ceiling. And so that's the reason maybe you don't want to switch to ceiling. Your ceiling is three if either but only one of your first two queries be open book, which means you get one right open book, you get one right not open book, um, you are allowed to trigger and get a third query correct. But if both of the first two were open book, you, you have hit your ceiling. And if a quizzer hits their ceiling, without any incorrect queries and without having gotten any of them correct via open book, they get an additional three points. So theoretically, a quizzer who gets four verbatim subtypes with reference at a verse gets 31 points in a quiz. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we we're talking about points in CBQ. We should... A, a sort of a good rule of thumb or, or well, mostly equivalent rule of thumb if you're comparing points is just add a zero, right? Um, so a synonymous, you know, default synonymous uh, subtype, no extra stuff, two points in CBQ, it's 20 points in uh, H2. So when we're talking about 31 points, we're talking about a single quizzer. Now, again, doing what Scott said, where you're basically going verbatim with reference at a verse for four queries in a quiz, that's not easy. That's really, really, really not easy. But if you can pull it off, you are basically earning the equivalent of 310 points in second age, uh, and you're doing it under CBQ. So 31 points is a massive, massive amount of points. Another good way to think about it would be in age two, if a quizzer got four interrogative questions, so they're asked like interrogatives, but once the quizzer jumps, they're turned into quote these two verses. And the quizzer has to give the reference of the verses and quote them both word perfect. Um, if they can do that four times, um, then they would get this kind of equivalent 310 points, which is a lot. I think you can kind of start to see the in the incentives have shifted just a little bit where, hey, we added open book, which are easier than anything we have today. But as a result, we didn't want to just say like, hey, you can get open book questions and they're worth 20 points. So you can get a 90 just like someone can get a 90 and they don't get to use open book. We also increased the difficulty and the 
scoring upside at the other end. Whereas today, the best you can do in a single quiz is 90. It doesn't matter if all four questions you got were so difficult, you can get a 90. Um, but here we are letting the quizzer opt into different levels of difficulty and get rewarded for it, which I think is really, really cool because I know when I quiz, there was 10 to 20 quizzers who were all expecting to quiz out in every quiz that they were in. And so you're all kind of fighting for scoring 70 versus 80 versus 90 in a quiz. Whereas here, there's way more ability to separate yourself. Like maybe you get a, a 14 in a quiz, but maybe some other quizzer gets a 27. And there's, I don't know, I just think that's so cool. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Andrew, any Andrew, any thoughts about uh, either the quizzer points or ceiling so far? Uh, just uh, just kind of generally that um, uh, we're kind of going back to, to you're talking about open book about um, how like we're extending the, the ceiling, the scoring points above uh, like the, the 90 that you can get in age two that uh, even with with open book, um, you know, you, you're, con you're contributing to your team by doing that. So I think we're just allowing every member of a team to have uh, a fair contribution uh, in in every single quiz is could could also be quite a change from uh, from H two where there was you know on any given team there's usually a quizzer who who might not feel that they were really contributing consistently but I think it's way easier to do that now yeah exactly indeed. because currently unless you you happen to have an interrogative where all the best quizzers are quizzed out and the whole question gets asked and the answer is like God or something like that you have to know a decent amount of material to get even one question right in an entire meet. And so, um, you know, maybe it's 20 verses memorized, um, but something fairly significant. And so in age three, it lowers that bar where, Hey, maybe I have to know one verse kind of, um, and I can get one open book question, a meet, but it, it is, it extends a wider range of knowledge um, as able to be scored upon. And once someone is scoring, I think it's much easier for them to double it or increase by 20% um, when they, they are in the positive versus not winning any jumps. Yeah, indeed. Well, and, and I mean, Andrew raises a really good point where a lot of times when we get very rule book nerdy about the rules because we enjoy doing that, we're tending to talk about things like, you know, championship meets, or we're talking about like a finals in a meet, or we're talking about like, you know, an internationals or great West or th these sorts of things. And so we're sort of envisioning most teams having a pretty good opportunity of jumping on nearly any sort of question in any particular type of quiz. It's really, you're just competing against the other teams at that same level. But in some cases, uh, what you're talking about is like, you know, if you've got a fairly significant amount of material, Axe is a great example of that. It's a fairly hefty amount of material uh, this season. Um, a team of good quizzers who just aren't quite at that same level uh, at say, you know, a consolation quiz at a district level could be encountering multiple questions where they they just haven't had the opportunity yet to memorize that verse. And so when you encounter material like that or encounter questions like that in age two, you have no option but to just sit and wait. And so unfortunately, that leads to a pretty uh, you know substantial number of no jumps uh, in that particular quiz. And that can be kind of draining. 
Whereas in CBQ, uh, everybody can actually have access to every query. So there's nothing, there's no query that's off limits to anybody. You do have to weigh and balance the notion of like, well, if I, if I trigger on this one and I open book it, yes, I'll get a point. I'll add that to my team, but it means I may be preventing myself because of a ceiling later from getting something where I can get, you know, two points or four points or five points or something like that. So you definitely have to weigh those, those pros and cons as a quizzer and as a coach. But the theory goes that you really shouldn't have very many node jumps in really any kind of uh, quiz uh, at any particular level. Now, the points might be different. You might get one or two uh, points uh, per query at in some quizzes, and others might be more like four or five points uh, per query, and, you know, with ranges and exceptions thereof. But the idea being that everybody's engaging with the material and with queries pretty much all the time, regardless of where that quiz happens to be. Another cool thing that I think is simpler and that you won't hear us talk about at length because it literally doesn't exist, which is negative points. Uh, you don't get negative points for getting queries incorrect. You just don't get the opportunity to get positive points. Um, and so that's why adding a zero um, is kind of close, um, but a little, maybe a little bit inflated because there's no notion of negative points. And so the the upside needs to reflect um, that that's what you're foregoing if you get it wrong and just get zero. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, if you're if you do get it wrong, because and that's the other thing, A's and B's happen on uh, query one versus say query sixteen. So when you error, yeah, you're getting zero instead of one, and you're still eligible for full ceilings. Let's say. But what ends up happening is the, the query goes to a B or a C, your team has to sit. So in effect, you're making it more possible for the other teams to outscore you. So there's, there's definitely, definitely some depth to the strategic decision-making process. Yep. I think the longer that you're in quizzing, you realize that the penalty for an error, even if it's negative 10 points, is that's the smallest penalty. <laughs> um, the penalty of not being able to get 20 or 30 points on this question, or 20 to 30 points on the next question, while preventing your opponents from scoring points on either question, and moving your potential for third, fourth, and fifth person bonuses um, up, those are like the massive penalties of committing an error, <laughs> not the potential negative 10 points. Right, indeed. So, moving on beyond ceilings, there are bonus team points. So when the second and every following quizzer on a team get a correct uh, query for the first time in a quiz, that team gets one bonus point. Um, and it increments for the number of quizzers. So second quizzer gets one bonus point, and the third quizzer gets two bonus points. And at least at present, the definition of a team is three quizzers. But there's no reason that someone can't set up a, a meet where a team has nine quizzers on it um or two um right griffin yeah well sort of the the rule book currently says that a team is capped at three but certainly a district could override that for district purposes and say no we actually want to do you know a cap of five or whatever it's really just that's a, cool yeah it's just a question of of i mean the math all works out uh the same in in all those cases it's really just a question of like uh 
do you have the equipment to be able to support it? Do you have a room big enough to be able to support that many quizzers? That sort of thing. I think this is really cool. I always wanted to see this implemented because having a fourth quizzer on your team get a correct question in a quiz is way harder and way cooler than that third person, yet it's worth the same amount of bonus. And I think it would be cool if it was worth 10, 20, 30, and here it is worth uh, one the first time and two the for the next quizzer. Now, in addition to this, you'll see this is a theme. Points are additive um, with the exception with the exception of open book when it comes to the base subtype and the quizzer selected subtype, but open book can be the basis for these bonus team points, right, Griffin? That's right. Yeah. Bonus team points are independent of query points. So even if you do an open book, you can still earn, you know, a, a second quiz or third quiz or bonus um, and the follow on bonus and so forth. Which I think is great because sure, open book questions are relatively easy, but it's still one that you won um, you triggered first on and you got correct. Uh, and I don't see any reason to change the amount of team bonus points that a quizzer would earn for that. Now, in addition, a quizzer who gets a query correct on the query immediately following a different quizzer from the same team who got one right, that following quizzer earns their team an additional one point. So that means there's a small incentive here if quizzer A gets query number one right, that you if you could choose it, would have a quizzer other than quizzer A get query two right um, because there is the potential for additional points there. And then it looks like you've calculated the um, theoretical maximum for a team, which is 107 points over uh, 12 query quizzes, right? Yeah, that's assuming a, a three team quiz of 12 queries, yeah. So each of the three quizzers gets 31 for... They each get four questions right verbatim with reference at a verse, no errors here. So they all get seven times four and then they're three bonus and then three points for the second and the third quizzer bonuses, one and two, and then 11 quizzer following bonuses if they answer in such a way that no quizzer gets two queries correct in a row. Um, and uh, so if you I, can see like 107 like 1070 that's a, a value you would never see right in h2 like occasionally you're going to see a 400 very rare to see a 300 and sometimes you see you know 220 240 um, but the ability that upward that upside is there if you are a really really prepared team and execute really well to you andrew uh yeah i was i just wanted to mention quickly um with the uh the total points not be a little bit lower because on a quote based subtype you cannot opt to add a reference that's a good point yeah andrew's smarter than i am um so yeah that's a very good point on a quote query you cannot add a reference uh subtype because the reference is provided for you so that that would just be add a reference is one, right? Yeah. So, it would, so be, it would be one. So they re, we rotate the four types across the 12 queries, queries. So that's basically a loss of three points. So the max is going to be 104. Nice. Nice. Okay. Anything we want to talk about? Because we've kind of rolled up or um, finished points. So quizzer points, the, the query ceilings and the bonus team points. Let's let's the three of us riff a little bit on some strategies here. Uh, Andrew started to talk about some of them, and I wonder if we can, you know, continue on that line of thought and go a little bit deeper. I mean, we talked about this idea of, 
you know, if you're, if you're not sure, start on a synonymous, take your time thinking about it after some number of seconds, who knows what the ideal is, you know, 10, 15 could be 20, uh, then, then call open book to be able to get a point maybe, uh, but I mean, how would you make those calculations? A lot of it's going to be situational, right? Uh, who, who, who else is in my team? Who am I? What do I know? What are my, what are my, uh, uh, competitors like, uh, is it, is it, a, you know, and then the other thing is, is it query two, three, four, is it query nine, 10, 11? Does, does that make any kind of difference? Um, I don't know, riff a little bit on these kind of things. Where do you guys see stuff? Well, because there's not the error points or, I mean, you don't sit out a whole query if you get one right. If you get one wrong, you just don't, aren't part of the A and B, right? Or you're, you're not part of the B and C. So I think the name of the game is trying to get positive points on as many queries as possible, both because positive points are good, but also because preventing your opponents from getting positive points is is also good. So if you, if you have a quizzer on your team who, I don't know, is best suited for open book questions, if at all possible, um, well, it's, it's kind of hard to know in advance at what speed and on what types you're going to want to jump on. But basically you'd rather have a quizzer on your team, get an open book for one point, even though it's a maximum of one point and lowers their ceiling, as opposed to when your opponent's getting it right for three, four, five, six, or seven points. So I don't know the best way to make sure that that happens because you can't just be completely aggressive um, because getting ones wrong means you get zero points and then your opponents are not deprived at all from scoring uh, because they get to jump themselves on question B of the same query type. Yeah, I would say um, for those quizzers that uh, that we're talking about that are, that are maybe best suited for open book or, or that that's what they feel comfortable with, I think it's a good team strategy to always have them, uh, like if, if there's a, a type they want to go for, that's fine, but to try to have them follow on when one of their teammates uh, answers correctly. Um, because then, you know, they're doing open book, but they can still get that follow-on bonus. Um, uh, and it's it's easier to... It's it's probably easier to answer correctly open book uh, most of the time. Um, and so if, if they're just going to be going for a few queries, a quiz, then... As a team, you probably want to make sure that they're they're trying to hit those follow-on bonuses as much, so they're getting two points per. So they could be getting you know four points for your team per quiz instead of two points. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think you'd want to be really confident. In addition, that the if there are better quizzers on the same team, that they would be able to max out scoring higher. Because sure. if they're not good enough to max out scoring higher then one of their teammates getting open book queries correct is lowering the team's scoring potential slightly slightly to to a point but i mean everybody's everybody's going to be bumping up with your ceiling right so all other all other things being equal and i haven't done all the math and simulations out here to to prove this but it feels like a good coaching strategy would be to tell your um, upper tier quizzers to optimize their, to basically always trigger at optimum speed for whatever they're trying to get to, right? And to not modulate. But for your open book quizzers to intentionally modulate to basically, because open book can, 
if you're if you're getting pretty good at open book you can modulate pretty pretty drastically right so if you're going for say a a, a a quote query that's a follow-on to some other uh, query that somebody else in your team got, and you're the open book quizzer. I think you're the one who can modulate really, really rapidly. So, in other words, you take your upper uh, tier quizzers, have them focus on what's your optimal uh, trigger speed, and take your open book quizzers and say. I want you to get comfortable at triggering at different speeds, like slow down if, um, well, is there a way to, I don't know, if, I don't know about slowing down, but like, like have one sort of default speed, but then significantly increase that speed, reduce the time, in other words, if uh, you're trying to do a follow on, because ultimately it's like, okay, even if the... Um, higher tier quizzer on your team is competitive on that subsequent query, they're probably going to be competitive on the third query and you can jump in and pick up two points, right? One for one for you for the open book and a second one for the either the follow on, possibly a third if you're, you know, picking up the second quizzer bonus or another two if you're the third quizzer bonus. So, I mean, there's all of that stuff that comes into play. So you're really talking about potentially, you know, four points uh, depending upon the situation, right? And then throttle back a little bit, and then that other quizzer can then come in and get their higher set of points, but also get the follow-on because they're following on to you. So um, that may be a strategy to think about. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I like that because – what is the correct terminology, Griffin? Query type, like quote or finish? Yeah, uh, base subtype. I thought base subtype was synonymous that's query quizzer, select. quizzer selected. That's quizzer selected. So th those are all quizzer selected subtypes. Yeah. Um, so open book synonymous verbatim with reference adverse. Those are all query. Uh, qu sorry, quizzer selected subtypes, and the base subtypes are uh, you know phrase, chapter, reference, quote, finish. Gotcha. So I was using base subtype incorrectly in our previous portion. Um, but one thing that I like is since each query stays the same base subtype throughout. A, B, and C. If teams err, it it means that there's so there's there's much less incentive to potentially throw a question to kind of ruin it for the other teams. Because I remember when I quizzed, it was very common for a team to have a keyword specialist where they were very good at quote and finish questions and not very competitive on all the others. So if a quote or a finish came up in like the first eight questions. I would always try to win the jump because even if I had a 60% chance of getting it right and they had a 95% chance of getting it right, it was worth it to me to lower their ability to score in the quiz. Well, I wouldn't be able to do that in in uh, H3 um, because if I, if I don't get it right, then they just get to jump on the same type again. And I think that's kind of um, a failing of our question type distribution goals in h2 because we have all of these minimums and maximums but if they happen on questions one through 15 the question is burned right the question type is just gone um, and that is not the case in h3 h3 cbq which is i think great it's much better incentives yeah i i'm trying to think of a scenario in in cbq where you would actually want to intentionally burn a question i think the only time would be if you recognized the verse based on the prompt, knew that somebody else 
in another team knew it really well, <laughs> right? Like, and knew that you could at least either answer it or could could go open book. Um, and so, exactly, right? Yeah. It's, it's so. I mean, it's I guess the, there's a theoretical possibility that that might happen, but it's so incredibly tiny that I just don't. I don't think it would ever happen in reality. Right, because it could be query 12, your team is up by six, and you're like, hey, I'm just going to win this jump and get it right open book because I'm preventing my opponents the chance to score seven. Exactly. And to draw an analogy, if anyone knows the card game Euchre, there is a way to score four points and a way to score two points. And so one um, strategy is if you're up three, do the thing that makes it so your opponents can only get two points. Um, don't let them have the potential to get the four points. And that's very similar to what it is here. Um, even if, I mean, the, the only thing is here, you have to be, you have to be pretty assured that you can get open book correct. Cause if you can't get it correct, then your efforts are wasted. Well, and even worse, right? You're, if, if, if you don't get it correct on open book, like if you don't get enough of the query out to be able to reference the material and get the the question correct you're making it easier on 12b or 12c for your competitor to actually go more maximum um you know they they uh you because they can slow down a little bit their trigger because they know you're out um they or or if they're if they're if it's on the c query uh they can get the entire prompt read to them and then trigger and then think uh, like, okay, what's the minimum amount of difficulty that I need to accept to be able to win this quiz on query 12? So, I mean, that stuff comes comes into play uh, and makes life very interesting. That's another thing that I like about this rule set is the Cs, they're not a different scoring, right? They're the same scoring. Right. Everything's the same. But that that's because a big reason for that is in age three, the query portion of the query plus the answer is very small. Whereas in age two, it could theoretically be 95% of the total material required. Um, and so there were very often bonuses that were so easy. And so if you had a bonus that was that easy, but a quizzer um, could get 50 points for it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't be the right amount of scoring for what they're doing. But in H3, you're given a pretty short prompt, um, even in the case of a bonus and the whole thing being read. You've you've got to get the rest of it right. And then if you want to score more, you have to do with a reference or add a verse, which is the exact same difficulty <laughs> um, as if it was A or B. You know, it, the difficulty is is changing by a much smaller degree because the bulk of the difficulty is in the content you have to provide, not in merely um, winning the, it's not called jump, right? Merely triggering first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be a jump, but it's probably going to be more, you know, push a button and then, and then get called on. Right. Which is why, like I hated the quizzes where once the jump was won, you know, six of the 12 quizzers or eight of the 12 quizzers could get it right. And so all of the art was on winning the jump. Um, this is much different where winning the jump, sure, you might be able to win the first four queries in a quiz and get them all right synonymous with nothing else. And then someone else might get two questions right 
seven points each and already have scored way more than you. And I think, I don't know, I'm a big incentives person when it comes to games and figuring out where the loopholes are. And I think there are way fewer loopholes here. Yeah. And more self-determinism as well. That part is very interesting. So like you can, you can deploy the, I'm going to get the first four queries and I'm going to answer them correct. And I'm going to get them synonymous, but that, yeah, you're opening yourself up to like, but now I've hit my ceiling and I'm out. Um, like maybe I want to stick around and hold off on getting my fourth for a little while so that I can interject at a later point. But then the question becomes like, how late do you want to run that? And how late do you want to run the risk that you can't get your fourth, uh, depending upon what's going on? So there's a lot of layers of this thing. So I don't envy the advanced coaches, uh, you know, trying to work all this out. There's a, there's a lot to work out. Mm-hmm. And there's there's even, I think, a, another layer here, or part of that uh, with the delaying your, your ceiling is that as long as you have not reached your ceiling, as long as you have another uh, jump to win, then the other team just don't know how many points uh, you're going to end up with uh individually and like where you're going to be when your ceiling ends if you go out you know the first four queries they know exactly what they need to do to beat you and they can optimize for that whereas um by delaying your ceiling they kind of just have to go for maximum points on all their queries and that could lead to them uh making some you know answering incorrectly on some because they added difficult subtypes when they didn't actually need to that's a really good point that's an incredibly important point (laughs) Yeah, um, I <laughs> I have nothing more to add other than just to say yes, <laughs> very much. Yep, I'm I'm a big analogies person, and it reminds me of when Tiger Woods would play golf tournaments. His competitors knew that he almost never um, went backwards; he was always moving forwards. And so, as a result, they attempted more risky things than they otherwise would have. And often ended up scoring worse than they would have if they had just not attempted the more risky things. And that's a very similar thing that could happen here, right? If you're just in a quiz, you, you're almost goading your, your opponents into doing something more risky than maybe they would have done otherwise. Um, and you're, you're trying to get them to lower their points potential um, of their own volition, which is, you know, if if a fool is saying something stupid, don't interrupt him, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think that's a derivation not, of Napoleon, right? If you're if your enemy's making a mistake, don't interrupt them, right? Which it's not quite the same, but it's you you are innocently saying like, hey, I'm I'm not going to knowingly make it this easier on you, right? Um, you're going to have to make your own maximal determination, um, and. I'm giving you less information to make that decision with. Right. Right. All right. Any other thoughts on scoring before we uh, move on? I just think it's really interesting for a quizzer to like, I would do so much reflection on what do I think I can score and what is my certainty level? Because if I could get a five point right a hundred percent of the time, I need to know exactly what percent of the time I would get a seven point right to know whether I should attempt it or not. And that level of reflection maybe isn't done today. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's, a, it's a much different way about thinking of how prepared am I for a given type of query. Yeah. 
One last thing on on scoring. Well, actually, two two last things. Um, second to last thing, and then the last thing. So the second to last thing is if you are a, a a junior quizzer or a rookie, or you're just getting started into this. Well, I guess everybody's just getting started into CBQ at this point. But you know, assuming you know a couple of years down the line, somebody's listening to this episode, and you're just getting started in here, this complexity can seem overwhelming. Don't don't feel like you have to master it out of the gate, right? There is nothing in this strategy. There is nothing in scoring that will uh, be able to overcome not knowing the material. So start with memorizing. Always invest the majority of your time in memorizing. Memorize as close to verbatim as you can. Memorize with reference as often as you can. And then it's really just a question of, like Scott was saying, be self-reflective of how confident am I based on the prompt that I've received, based on the, you know, the base subtype, how confident am I to move away from a vanilla synonymous to get something different and in, in addition, or, you know, go to switch down to an open book or something like that. Those are kind of the the, the decisions that you can make, but don't feel like you have to super optimize uh, if you're just getting started in, into the program. Start by just going after those synonymous subtypes uh, based on whatever base subtype that you've got. Just do your best to to provide a response. And even if you you remember nothing, right? If you if you're like I can't remember all these these you know selection types and I don't remember all these rules, don't worry about it. Just get up there, answer synonymous by default. You'll get your two points. You'll put you know end up getting some additional points for your team. You'll you're still eligible for your plus three uh, ceiling. Uh, just go for it that way until you get more comfortable and you can start adding, right? Then the second thing is on the other end of the spectrum, if you're an advanced quizzer, you know, we mentioned the 107, or sorry, not 107, 104 points that are the maximum number of points that you can, that you can earn for, uh, in a team. That is if everything works absolutely perfectly right for all three uh, quizzers on your team across all 12 queries in a quiz. This is substantially, I would go so far as to say, insanely difficult. It is theoretically possible. It is not impossible, but it is bordering on impossible. It is extraordinarily difficult. But that's by design. The idea being that there is always, wherever you happen to be, there is always going to be a level to advanced beyond. There is no sort of cap where you're like, I just can't get beyond this point. So like looking at a, at a, at a quizzer in, you know, second age, once, you know, 90 is, is, is as far as you go. Once you get 90, that's it. You can't get anything more. Uh, but in uh, CBQ, you can keep going beyond that. You know, you can, you can basically uh, get, 310 points instead of 90. Now, once you surpass uh, 9, 10, 11 points, it starts getting harder and harder and harder and harder to push that envelope. But there's always a little bit more that you can do. So, and again, this all comes back to get the material mastered verbatim with reference, right? Now, the more familiar you are, you, the more familiar you are with CBQ, the more comfortable you are with uh, managing your subtype selections and evaluating those risks and understanding the current query in the context of a quiz. Yeah, that'll all help you make strategic decisions. 
But again, 98% of this is still all pulling back to the amount of time that you're preparing uh, with memorizing as close to verbatim as possible with reference. And then once you have that, adding on some list work beyond that, that stuff really comes is is 98% of the thing. And then this 2% is all these rules strategies kind of on top of it. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're not optimizing from like four to six. It matters if you're, you know, not optimizing from 12 to 23. Right. All right. So with that all said, let's jump on to query identifiers and quiz flow. We've actually basically talked about this stuff before, uh, and I probably should have put this as a higher ordered topic since we've already basically talked about this in, in talking about scoring and so forth, but how query identifiers work and quiz flow. So quizzers have a certain number of queries based on the number of teams in a quiz. So in age two, there's always, uh, well, actually there isn't always, but there's typically 20 questions. We don't like 15 question quizzes, but, um, you know, theoretically those do exist in, uh, age three in CBQ, the number of queries is based on the number of uh, teams in the quiz. It's the product of four and the number of teams in a quiz. And so since most quizzes are going to have three teams, most quizzes will have 12 queries. However, if you want to do two teams, you can totally, totally do that. You're just going to have fewer queries. If you want to do four teams in a quiz, you can totally do that. You're just going to have more than 12 queries, right? So um, if a response is ruled incorrect, a query is added for the other two teams. And that happens, and of course, that's if one team errors. If a second team errors on that second query, then another query is added, but only for that last third team, right? So each query in a quiz has a unique identifier that exists of a number, one through, let's say, 12, if you've got three teams and a letter, and it begins at A. So the very first query in a quiz is for any number of teams is going to be 1A. And so then when the QM rules a quizzer's response to a query correct, the QM will increment the numerical component to the next one and start with a uh, with with A. So if you're at 1A, it becomes 2A. If you happen to be at 1B, uh, it, the next one becomes 2A and so on. If a quizzer rules a response incorrect, then the QM advances the letter component. And so that's where you you start with, say, 1A. If there's an error, it goes to 1B. If there's another error, it goes to 1C. And at that point, it flips back over to 2A. All three teams are eligible to query. So anytime that you see an A, all three teams are eligible. Anytime you see a B, there's two teams that are eligible. Anytime you see a C, that means one and only one team is eligible. And this is, of course, assuming that we're talking about a three-team uh, quiz. So no no more possibility for 16A to be a bonus. Right. In some cases, but a toss-up in, in other cases. Exactly. Yeah. You can always, you can always tell what type of, uh, what eligibility there is based on that that letter suffix. Uh, now, of course, you know, potentially you could have four teams in a quiz. So that way you could have an A, B, C, and D uh, kind of query. But uh, but yeah, all of that just naturally follows. I don't know that there's really much to talk about in terms of strategy here. This is really just more a labeling construct. Well, I think the strategy of uh, it, there's little incentive to burn a type for a, a base subtype for an opponent, because if you get it wrong, you have burned nothing. You've just burned your own ability to score points. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So I'm going to, the last topic here for today uh, is section 2.4 of uh, rulebook version one, and that is the query based subtype and uh, translation distribution, which very much has implications on strategy. Now, not nearly as much as scoring does, but still above zero. So I'll go through this and have you guys riff on strategic implications. So in every quiz, each numerically identified query, so one, two, three, whatever, whether that's A, B, or C, or whatever, has a base subtype based on a sequential flow through all of the base subtypes in order, then randomized. Okay, so that sounds weird. But it basically you take those, uh, those four subtypes, uh, phrase, chapter, quote, finish, you randomize them, and then you uh, chunk those together. So in a pre-randomized base subtype set, you might see uh, PCQF, PCQF, PCQF for a three-team quiz with 12 numerical identifying queries. Um, but again, that gets randomized. So you could have two or even three types uh, right next to each other. So you could have two quote queries right next to each other. You could potentially even have three quote queries right next to each other. Not likely, uh, but the rules of randomicity uh, allow that case to be true. Uh, so then the other thing is each numerically identified query has a translation based on the randomized set of translations from a quizers uh, from the quizzes material and then sequentially repeated so for example if a quizzers uh, material contains let's say translations a b and c whatever those happen to be and let's say you take those three things and you randomize them together let's say you end up with a c a b uh, set, then the same three team in the same three team quiz, the set of numerical identified queries have the translation sequence of CAB, 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 right? So it just kind of repeats in that pattern. Queries with the same numerical identifier have the same base subtype and translation. translation. So when you're on query 2B, let's say on 2A, there was an error, and now you're on 2B. 2B will have the same base subtype and translation as query 2A. So exactly like Scott was saying, it, there's just no reason to burn 2A because it just means the other two teams get exactly the same base subtype and translation on 2B, right? So the meet director or QM publishes a query based subtype and translation distribution for a quiz prior to the quiz. Now, this is something interesting uh, that does not happen in age two at all. But the idea being that you you will know as a quizzer, or at least you can know as a quizzer, and you certainly would know as a coach, prior to the quiz starting, you're going to know the order of the base subtypes and the order of the translation sequence. So you're going to know uh, before the quiz starts that query seven is going to be a chapter reference from translation B, right? So this is useful potentially for strategy. And here's where I'm going to let Andrew and Scott explain why. So here's a question. There are four base subtypes. And if you're randomizing the order of those four, and then you're multiplying it by three and then randomizing, wait, like what, what are you randomizing if you're Sorry, let me, I, I, I sort of described that incorrectly. You're not initially randomizing the set of four. You're putting them into a, into a set of groupings and then randomizing that entire group. So take, take the set PCQF, 
times three for a three team uh, quiz. So you get 12 numerical uh, queries, then take that set of 12 and randomize that. So ultimately you could end up with say two phrase queries back to back. Is that desirable or is it actually desirable to like have no consecutive base subtypes? I have no idea. I have no idea. Cause for me, the, the randomness that was useful in H2 was because the minimums and maximums did not imply a, a, a um, one possible outcome. And because you could burn questions one through 15 and because there were subs, you just kind of, it felt better that everything was random. But here in age three, when there are no subs and you can't burn any questions, and I don't, it might actually be desirable for you to randomize the four base subtypes um, into an order of four and then just repeat that three times so that you never have two um, base subtypes identical in a row. Yeah, I, and that's certainly something that I would love to experiment with over time. There is a possibility that it may be very, very mildly suboptimal to the pure randomized approach because you could conceivably have a situation where based on what those base subtypes are, you might have certain quizzers who are better or worse on them based on where they happen to be. So one really obvious example is the quote uh, base subtype, right? So a the, the quote base subtype is extremely easy for an open book uh, quizzer to go after, right? You just have to, you're, you're basically timing your trigger. Now, granted, everybody else is timing their trigger as well. So I shouldn't say it's incredibly easy. I'm just saying it's easier, I guess, relative. If you can get the, the trigger and if you can get enough of the verse number out to be able to figure out what that verse is, then it's really just a matter of, you know, sword drilling to the location and reading it and, and you're, you're good to go at that point, right? Whereas something like a phrase query is much more difficult. You know, you're talking about it could be coming from anywhere within the material. And yeah, the prompt has to be at least six words long, but maybe you trigger after like the third word or even the second word. Uh, if it's a, a, you know, from a, your own local translation, that's much more difficult, significantly more difficult to be able to respond to correctly. If you're say an open book quizzer, so where the phrase and where the quote questions line up within a quiz can have a dramatic implication of how you attack them based on which quizzers you attack them with. Now, this diminishes at the upper levels, right? So as you're going into, say, an internationals universe or even a Great West universe, I think this, this delta diminishes. But I think at the district level, especially at the con level, uh, this could actually play an, an, you know, an interesting role. I, I also uh, would kind of like to add on that I think the randomness actually helps uh, or, or it could be desirable because it allows for more specific um, strategies. If you, if you keep the I mean, there's only so many ways you can you can randomize the set of four and then repeat it. And so with. I think you begin to to narrow the number of optimal strategies that there are, whereas with completely randomizing the set of twelve and then publishing that beforehand, and everyone can see you you can develop specific strategies for each quiz that are different, and that I think that's just more fun to be honest. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great that's a great point because yeah, 
it could be a pretty limited set of orders and you could, yeah, it'd be easier to develop strategies that would just persist. Whereas this way things are much more fluid. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this also becomes into play very interestingly at a district, probably more at the district level than at an upper level uh, arena where you become over the course of a season pretty familiar with the quizzers from other teams and how those teams are strategizing and working things out. And you might be able to know like, oh, there's this team that it has a couple of quizzers that are really good at finish queries. Like they're really optimized at those finish queries. And they basically, if they're from a local translation, they pretty much always max seven points or they they do very well, whatever it happens to be, right? And you get a distribution where you've got, say, two of the three finishes are like on, you know, query 10 and 12 or, you know, 10, 11 and 12 or something like that. So then you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, we need to be a certain number of points ahead of the other team by query nine or 10. If we have any hope of, of getting this quiz, because they are going to close some of that distance uh, in the last couple of queries. So we need to push a little bit harder, let's say around seven, eight, nine in expectation of what's going to happen. 10, 11, 12. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, and I'm just kind of thinking about this, that, so let's say you're in a district, like you said, and so there's this team and you know uh, they have a quizzer too who's really good at the finish subtype. And maybe there's a different team with a quizzer who's who's really good at the the chapter uh, reference uh, based subtype. And so for each of those quizzes, so and and if you don't have a quizzer on your team who you know can can beat them and get the same number of points as they can on those types, um, but you do have a quizzer on your team who who tends toward the uh, the open book that's kind of a way that you can you can burn a question for them is say okay on this subtype in this quiz um on this question we're gonna have you know our, our open book quizzer try to go after that one and take those points away from that lead quizzer on the other team and so that changes depending on the quiz um like uh which team you're going against basically. Yeah, tremendously true. And the beauty of that is you can come up with that strategy like two days before the quiz meet, right? I mean, you can, Mm -hmm. you can derive that strategy as soon as you get access to the published uh, base subtype and translation distribution, you can actually be working on it's it. You don't have to wait until like, you know, query nine and then call a timeout and figure out that, you know, strategy on the fly. This is something that can be done prior to the meet. But what I love is that, like, that's 100% true. But the quizzer still has to get the open book right. Yes. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. today, yes. There, are, there are quizzers who are basically 100% chance they're going to get a quote right and a 0% chance they're going to get an interrogative or a multiple answer right in finals. And I just want to run up and grab the opponent coaches and say, like, just have your quizzer get it wrong. Like, <laughs> like you, you come out ahead. And I think that's, like, a bad incentive, but it does exist. And that doesn't exist. You can't just have a quizzer trigger on a, a mouth shape and get it wrong. Um, they have to, sure. yeah. you know, both trigger um, first, but with enough that they will get open book right. And I just love the whole setup. Cool. Well, any other thoughts on anything we've talked about so far in this episode? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, shockingly, I mean, this we've actually been going for like about an hour at this point, And it's shocking to me because... 
this feels like it's gone really fast and I could talk for another hour on this stuff. It's pretty exciting stuff. So, but we will have to close here and we will pick up next week or next episode with uh, 2.5 uh, rulings. And we'll talk about timeouts, fouls, appeals, and so on. Appeals is a very interesting topic and uh, we should have a, a, a good uh, chance to be able to dive into some of the detailed strategy therein. So, uh, on behalf of my co-hosts, Andrew, thank you for joining us. Scott, always a pleasure. Uh, thank you everybody too, uh, for listening. Thanks to everyone. It's always fun having guests because it's just a different, a different viewpoint on stuff. And you probably learn pretty quickly what Griffin and I think about everything. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>